So hello and welcome to the uh, podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm your host, uh, Christian Esguera. This week, we're joined by Professor Romel Banlawi. He's the uh, Executive Director and the Chairman of the Philippine Institute for Peace, Violence, and Terrorism Studies. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast, Professor Banlawi. My pleasure, Christian. Over the past few days, uh, there's there has been a big controversy surrounding the uh, proposed Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020. Of course, this is meant to be a, a refinement of the uh, 2007 Human Security Act. Now, I decided to invite you on this podcast because uh, you're an expert on these things when it comes to the uh, problem of terrorism here in the Philippines. So first, do we really need uh, an enhanced uh, anti-terrorism law to address the current challenges posed by these terrorists in our country? We need it, Christian, for two important reasons. Number one, we need a new anti-terrorism law to address the current nature of terrorist threats that we face. And this uh, terrorist threats are real threats presenting a uh, clear danger to uh, Philippine society. So that's the reason. And our existing anti-terrorism law does not have the wherewithal and even strength to really address this uh, new phase of terror that uh, we face. Second, passing a stronger anti-terrorism law is also part of our international commitments to the United Nations and other task forces, particularly the International Financial Task Force, okay, uh, requiring us to strengthen our provision on countering the financing of terrorism. So uh, domestic considerations and at the, at the same time, international commitments. Okay, let's try to address specific issues here. For example, what is not in the Human Security Act of uh, 2007 that was included uh, in the proposed Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020 that would address a specific issue uh, which is happening now when it comes to terrorist activities in the Philippines? Well, two controversial uh, provisions that were added to the new anti-terrorism law. One uh, provision is the extension of the preventive detention period from a period of three days to 14 days mm -hmm. with the possibility of extension for another 10 days. So that's uh, one uh, uh, difference. And second, uh, the lawful use of wiretapping uh, operations in order to gather intelligence information for purposes of preventing terrorist acts. So those are the two major uh, uh, improvements. But there are also other uh, major improvements that are non-military and non-law enforcement in nature. Uh, there is one important provision on countering, the, countering and preventing violent extremism which requires the Philippine government to address the underlying conditions conducive to the spread of terrorism without necessarily using these underlying conditions to act to justify acts of terrorism. So that's one uh, innovation. And of course, another uh, innovation is the expansion of the criminal offense related to terrorism cases. Before, under Human Security Act of 2007, you, you have to commit actual acts of terror before you will be charged of terrorism. For example, you have to plant a bomb or you have to uh, carry out a siege before you can be charged of terrorism. But under this uh, new anti-terrorism law, financing, support, training, facilitating, and even cuddling terrorists would be charged under the law. 
because the main intention of this law is not only to act when terrorist attacks happen, but also to prevent before terrorist attacks could happen. Okay. So, so in fact, the, ori the original the original title of this uh, law when it was uh, presented to the both houses of Congress was preventing uh, uh, preventing uh, terrorist act in the Philippines. You know. Uh, preventing uh, terrorist act. Okay. But uh, they said like, let's make it that anti-terrorist act because the acronym was not uh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. So let's yeah. talk about, for example, uh, the, the very basic uh, item here: the expansion of the definition of terrorism. Who exactly is a mm -hmm. terrorist? Because there's a lot of concern that, uh, despite the uh, the clear intention of the law to go after actual terrorists. This might actually be used to go after even those who are not exactly terrorists, but would be branded as terrorists because that's uh, that's allowed under the law. Uh, it's not uh, exactly accurate, uh, Christian. If you are not a terrorist, uh, uh, it cannot be applied to you. However, although you are not a terrorist, but you're cuddling terrorists, you're financing terrorists, you're facilitating the commission of terrorist acts, or you provided training and support, okay? or you express in various social media that you support acts of terrorism, under this law, Christian, you will be charged of uh, terrorism offenses. Okay? You don't need to blow up a bomb in order to be charged of terrorism. Okay, example, if, social media. Uh, we know that uh, ISIS, for example, has been very active yeah. in social media, in particular Facebook, in propagating their, their, their doctrine, quote-unquote. So how exactly mm -hmm. will this uh, new bill uh, address that issue? In my understanding, that if you endorse the ideology of ISIS and you share posts coming from ISIS encouraging attacks of any individuals or uh, infrastructures in the Philippines, then uh, under this law, okay, you will be put under investigation. Okay. But, but for, so you will be put under investigation. For how, example, how, I said, hmm. for example, ICC said, let's bomb the U.S. Embassy in Manila. Hmm. And you share that post and you say, yeah, we have to bomb as a punishment for the infidel. Yeah. Under the anti-terrorism law, you will be put under investigation. You will be uh, a person of interest on why you are doing that. But how about the why are you supporting? What, 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 if, uh, what if that particular post was shared in levity, meaning that person who shared that was not exactly uh, that serious about it? Would that also be scrutinized during the investigation? The yes. Yeah. There will there will be due process. Uh, uh, Christian, because there might be some individuals not knowing the implications of their actions, might share posts that can support activities of terrorist groups. So there will be a due process for that because the, there might be innocent individuals. But we know for the fact, uh, Christian, that there are really individuals deliberately sharing uh, messages coming from ISIS in order to encourage people to join the Islamic State. And the intention of this law is to prevent that thing to happen because of the assumption, Christian, that terrorism does not only mean committing acts of terrorism, 
terrorism also starts from the minds of indi individuals. So we also want to defeat terrorism from 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 the root of from from the ideology from the from the thinking of uh, the people. So mere mere thinking that you want to commit acts of terrorism, okay, will put you under person of interest, and you might be charged of uh, terrorism offenses. But that is not arbitrary, Christian. There will be due process of law, and and that is the reason why you need uh, wiretapping technologies to gather strong evidences whether or not you're actually supporting or uh, financing uh, terrorism. But, but so far, how bad is the situation? We know, uh, we saw how, how big the problem was during the Marawi siege in 2007. But between then and now, how, how active really, uh, for example, is the Islamic State in terms of recruitment, in terms of planning uh, here in the Philippines? I don't want to sound uh, alarmist, uh, Christian, but focusing on this particular topic, I can see that the threat is really serious. Okay, threat is really serious because attacks ha are already happening in other parts of the world. And if you will see in conflict-affected areas of the Philippines, particularly in Mindanao, uh, you'll see that the activities of these uh, pro-ISIS groups have not stopped despite the pandemic. They were not deterred by the, uh, by the uh, spread of the pandemic. They're even using the pandemic as a justification to, to recruit members and also to incite people to commit acts of uh, terrorism. And the kind of violence that they are propagating now is not simply roadside bombing or bomb attacks or uh, simple ambuscades. You know, they are propagating the use of suicide terrorism involving not only adults, but even uh, children and women. Yeah, you, you mentioned suicide yeah. attacks. What actually changed in terms yeah. of the psychology or the mentality of the local homegrown terrorists? Because as far as I remember, when I was covering the military and the police long, long mm -hmm. time ago, during the days of the Jumai Islamiyah, uh, what, what the intelligence uh, community would always uh, would often say was that duwag, <laughs> yung mga local terrorists, they won't go to the extent of actually killing themselves in a suicide bombing attack to carry out uh, yeah. the same. But what changed between then and now? Uh, there were two major changes, uh, Christian. First, uh, in the past, Al-Qaeda was the number one international terrorist group operating in the, the Philippines. And Al-Qaeda, although allowing suicide terrorism, but it's not the priority. It's not privileging suicide terrorism to uh, uh, propagate their jihad. It's not the first option. Yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not the first option. Violence is not the first option for uh, Al-Qaeda, although violence is part of jihad, but it's not, a, uh, it's, not, it's not the main reason for jihad. So you can pursue jihad through non-violent means. And at that time also, the uh, thinking of the local uh, supporters in the Philippines was not yet geared towards suicide terrorism because there was no strong encouragement to mount such kind of uh, suicide terrorist attack. But with the rise of ISIS, ISIS privileges the use of violence. ISIS prioritizes the use of uh, suicide terrorism and even glamorizing it and also propagating it and encouraging their followers worldwide that it's part of jihad. 
But, but so how that has changed. How strong is the ISIS recruitment and influence here in the Philippines after Marawi? It, it was strong. During the Al-Qaeda days, before you can recruit followers, you have to send organizers to the ground in order to meet people face-to-face -face and indoctrinate them. What with the rise of ISIS, ISIS can now use social media. You don't need to do face-to-face -face recruitment to uh, encourage uh, suicide terrorism. You just have to uh, be connected to the internet in you know, to, uh, to recruit and in also to propagate the violent extremist ideology of ISIS. And three years after the Marawi siege, that kind of narrative continues to spread around conflict-affected areas, particularly in vulnerable communities in uh, Mindanao. And we have seen three years after Marawi siege, the nature of violence emanating from these pro-Islamic groups has leveled up from mere ambuscades to roadside bombing to uh, assault. Now, we have seen four so, suicide terrorist attacks. Yeah. But weren't they supposed to have been uh, decimated or severely weakened after uh, Marawi? It's true that um, ISIS threats in the Philippines have weakened after Marawi, but they have not disappeared. Uh, yeah. uh, they are defeated in Marawi, but the whole infrastructure of terrorist threats in the Philippines has not been dissolved. It's still there. Uh, we have seen Maoti group evolving into a different group. It has evolved into a different group right now. Remnants of Maoti group is now added by uh, a new group believing to be part of Dauliya Islamiyah now. And that group is being headed now by a new leader by the name of Abu Sakarya and we call it the Abu Sakarya group. Even in Ansar Khalifa, Philippines, it's now being headed by another group, uh, by uh, a group called Nilong Group. So they are evolving. Even the Abu Sayyab group, uh, when, when it comes to Abu Sayyab group, we are facing not only one, but two different organizations within the Abu Sayyab group upholding the ideology of the Islamic State. We have an Abu Sayyab group being headed by Hadjan Sawadjaan, operating in... Uh, in Sulu, Tawi-Tawi, and even Saba area. And we also have a group being headed by Puruji Indama operating largely in Basilan and to a certain extent in Sambuanga Peninsula. Now, in central Mindanao, we have the Bangsamoro Islamic Freedom Fighters split into three. But the, the major faction that is really upholding the ideology of ISIS is the one being headed by Abu Toraipe. That's why we called it the Toraipe Group. But right after the death of uh, Abu Bakr Baghdadi, we have seen the rise of another leader, more lethal, uh, more skillful, and more violent in the name of Hassan Salahuddin. That's why we call it the Salahuddin Group. He pledged allegiance to Al-Qurashi, the recognized leader right now of uh, ISIS. And this person is very, very dangerous because he was trained by Marwan Basit Usman, Okay. and uh, even Dulmatin. I consider him the master bomber, bomber right now in central Mindanao, responsible for two major terrorist attacks in Sultan Kodarat. So we have seen that the nature of their attacks have be are becoming more in, uh, is, is becoming more and more uh, lethal, more and more violent, okay? and more and more dangerous. And our existing law that cannot address these this changes happening. Okay, so we have at least uh, four groups to watch out for when it comes to their links with ISIS. 
But how about the, the yeah. plan of ISIS to establish a caliphate here in this part of the world? And supposedly the Philippines would be the center of that. Is that uh, still on the table? Yeah, they have a virtual caliphate uh, which is based in the Philippines and they called it the uh, Islamic State East Asia. During the Marawi siege, it was called Dauliya Islamiya Wilayatul Mashriq, meaning the Islamic State in, in uh, East Asia. So uh, they, they don't have physical territories now, but they have a virtual caliphate and this kind of virtual caliphate is similar with other regions like in, uh, like in South Asia and even in the Islamic Maghreb, even in the Arabian Peninsula. So uh, the Philippines is the epicenter of ISIS caliphate in East Asia. Not but only Southeast Asia, but it also East in East Asia. So big. But in terms of uh, numbers, how many are we looking at in terms of uh, actual forces, physical forces or troops? They are small in numbers and that is why they resort to terrorism. Because mm -hmm. if they are big, they will not resort to terrorism. They will resort to, to uh, guerrilla warfare. Yeah, I mean, you know? compared to uh, how big their number was during Marawi. Yeah, um, radically reduced to more than half, more than 50% radically reduced. For example, if we are talking about the group of Sawadjaan, we are talking about not more than 50 regular armed followers. And if you talk about Puruji Indama, we are not, we are talking about less than 20 regular armed followers. But the, the biggest number of armed, follower, armed followers uh, can be found in Maguindanao, particularly the group of Abu Toraype. Because Abu Toraype abs absorbed some of the armed groups left behind by the one of a base command of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, particularly those uh, old people loyal to the uh, ideology of uh, Umbracato. And Abu Toraype, being uh, the contemporary of uh, Umbracato, was able to uh, uh, get more armed followers. And that is why during the Marawi siege, Toraype sent reinforcement to uh, the Marawi uh, siege. So uh, he's, he's very, uh, uh, he's, uh, that's, that's, that's the largest group that we can uh, see uh, under the group of uh, Butoraipe. But the problem, uh, Christian, is not really the regular armed followers. The problem is that they continue to have supports from the community. Sympathizers. Who have, they have sympathizers, they have supporters, they have local financiers, you know. So uh, those support network, okay, is also one of the main targets of the new anti-terrorism law. We are not only countering Toraype. We are not only countering Sawadjaan. We are not only countering Puruji Indama. We are not only countering Sakarya or Nilong or Hassan Salahuddin. We are also countering the whole support network okay, of uh, these groups in order to prevent them from carrying out their bad intentions because they have the capabilities to, to mount violent attacks and we want to prevent that to happen. Okay, so you basically laid down the, uh, the dire uh, situation or um, <laughs> the dire atmosphere when it comes to terrorism here in the Philippines. But how about the, the other concern? Because uh, we know that we need to deal with terrorists like this, but how about the possibility of this new uh, proposed law being misused against people who are not exactly terrorists. For example, uh, the, the, the new crime introduced uh, was inciting to commit terrorism. Uh, there's a lot of fear that that might even, for example, cover people who are actually simply activists, 
not exactly terrorists. I think that particular fear is coming from the perspective that under this administration so far, it has been very tough when it comes to leftist activists. So what would what more if you give it a new wherewithal to go after quote-unquote terrorists? If you're an activist uh, Christian, there's nothing to be worried about this law. But if you are an activist inciting to commit acts of terrorism, then the law, you must be answerable to the law. Why are you inciting terrorism? If you are an activist, your activism is a very beautiful word. word. Uh, if you pursue peace, that's activism. If you promote nonviolence, that's activism. Okay? If you want sustainable development, that's activism. If you want gender equality, that's activism. If you want good government, that's activism. But if you incite acts of terrorism, if you encourage people to commit acts of terrorism, if you encourage people to bomb Malacanang, to bomb U.S. Embassy, or to bomb any physical infrastructures, okay, then you, that's not activism. That's crime, Christian. Exactly. And this particular crime is the main target of the anti-terrorism law. Okay, understood. Uh, for example, here, let's say you are a student activist and then you posted something like, uh, let us support the New People's Army. Let's support this 50-year-old uh, revolution for some meaningful change. We know that the, in N my, uh, hmm, the NPA is considered as a terrorist. Uh, for in my opinion, in my opinion, Christian, I am not a lawyer, but being a political science scholar, reading the intention of the anti-terrorism law, okay, using the, the concept of Baron de Montesquieu, what is the spirit of the law? And the spirit of this law is to really counter terrorism. If NPA is prescribed, designated, in fact, already designated as a foreign terrorist organization by the United States, but it proscribed New People's Army as a terrorist organization, and you express support to New People's Army, then you will be answerable to the anti-terrorism law, Christian. Yes, because that's the intention of the law, to prevent the use of violence. Uh -oh. For example, to prevent the use of violence. What happens is the distinction between, uh, for example, above board uh, leftist organizations, those are actually uh, focusing on mass uh, protests, yung mga rallies, yeah? and then the, the, mm -hmm. the actual parliament, which is actually encouraged by our democracy to join the party system. We have leftist yeah. organizations there. The problem over the past uh, a few years, uh, there's been um, aggressive labeling coming from the government that even if these organizations are legal, uh, they're above board, they're being linked, uh, whether true or not, when it comes to promoting the uh, violent ideology or ways of the actual communist movement. Uh, Christian, if you are an activist, you are a leftist, and you remain to be peaceful, you remain to be nonviolent, you remain to be civil, okay, Anti-terrorism law will not prevent you from doing those things. In fact, the anti-terrorism law is even giving you protection yeah. that if you exercise legitimate political grievances through mass protest actions and even rallies, okay, the anti-terrorism law specifically requires protection of those legitimate civil and political rights, Christian. But if you, if you go out of the street, make a lightning rally, shouting, let's support NPA, oust Duterte, uh, 
advocate armed struggle, of course, you will be answerable to anti-terrorism law. And that is the reason why we are providing law enforcement authorities enough power to gather information through wiretapping in order for the law enforcement authorities to exercise due diligence in order not to tag others, innocent individuals or innocent uh, organizations under this terrorism label. In fact, that's the main purpose of wiretapping, uh, Christian in order to allow our law enforcement authorities the wherewithal to exercise due diligence so that the innocents will be protected and the guilty should be put to justice. That's why my term there is we need this anti-terrorism law to fight terrorism with justice. <laughs> but of course, that presumes yeah. that our law enforcers would actually follow the letter of the law and that there would be no... Yeah. But of course, I understand now, if safeguards here. Yeah, if they don't follow the letter of the law, then they will be accountable. Okay, if they are not responsible in implementing this law as uh, intended, then they, they they should they should be punished and uh, they should be unsettable also, uh, Christian. Okay, when it comes to designation, uh, there's a lot of concern when it comes to the. Uh, by the way, for those who are listening to us now. Uh, you're very much you're very much passionate about this issue, not just because this is a part of, part of your uh, academic work, but also you have been consulted. Uh, you had been consulted uh, when it came to the crafting of the proposed anti-terrorism act of 2020. Is that correct? We provided academic input, scholarly inputs during uh, a discussion uh, group that led to the drafting, because the drafting was the responsibility of the lawyers. Yeah. But we, political scientists, we provided inputs, we provided research, we shared our uh, research, and we also shared our perspectives on several issues. Like, for example, my original recommendation in the law is that instead of using the term preventive det uh, detention, why don't we use the term preventive custody in order to make the process more, more palatable, more humane, and more acceptable? <laughs> Yeah, prevent, you are not being detained. You are just being put under custody so that to protect you because you, have, you are being, uh, you are a person of interest. So we want to put you under custody to protect you and to gather more evidences to prove you guilty or not. So that's the main purpose of custody. But of course, because preventive detention is the usual practice legal uh, in, uh, under international law also and by other countries. So they use that term. Uh, preventive detention because that's the practice being used by many countries worldwide. Okay, let's talk about the Anti-Terrorism Council. It's already established under the Human Security Act of 2007. But under this mm -hmm. uh, um, Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020, the proposal, it gets uh, even more powers. In particular, the power to designate groups or individuals as terrorists uh, based on the mm -hmm. probable cause. One concern Correct. is... You have here a council composed of cabinet officials appointed by a mm -hmm. president actually wielding so much power in terms of designating people as terrorists. And by that, they can already be arrested by law enforcers and their assets can be frozen. People see a lot of dangers in that. No, uh, Christian, the designation is not arbitrary. The designation and prescription of individuals and organizations would undergo a lawful process. It's not, uh, it's not arbitrary. Uh, that's why there is a Department of Justice there. There is the Department of Foreign Affairs, the Indeed. Department of Law. It's an interagency. Inter and more importantly, 
there is a provision in the anti-terrorism law about the role of the Commission on Human Rights to make sure that in the implementation of this law, human rights will be protected, Christian, at all times. Not only protected at all times, absolute at all times. In fact, in the Declaration of Policy of the Anti-Terrorism Law, it states there that this anti-terrorism law is hereby enacted in order to protect the life, liberty, and property of the Filipino people. But I think one concern so, is that uh, the powers that are being given to the Council are better left primarily in the hands of the courts. The Anti-Terrorism Council cannot prescribe uh, individuals or organizations as terrorists. But they can designate. If, uh, if, if they designate it, then if you want to challenge the designation, we have a court to handle it. So you have to challenge the designation. Like, for example, our institute. If suddenly the Anti-Terrorism Council tags our organization as a, as a terrorist organization, then I have to challenge that in court that we are not a terrorist organization. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I can already have you arrested and detained for up to 14 days, extendable for another 10 days, and I can freeze your assets. And to prove myself guilty, I will exercise my Miranda rights doctrine, and I will be requiring a lawyer, and that's being required in anti-terrorism law. I think I understand those safeguards, but I think basically the damage would have been done already. For example, in that example that you cited. Uh, you have been designated by the ATC. And then, of course, you can mm -hmm. do that in court. Yet, you're not yet uh, proscribed by the court, but you have been designated by a council mm -hmm. of officials. Basically, damage done. You have been arrested. You have been detained for mm -hmm. 24 days. And then your assets have been frozen. So, basically, marami nang nawala sa'yo. Yeah, if you have proven yourself guilty, then you can also claim for counter damages. You can file a case against authorities who did not exercise due diligence by causing you uh, inconveniences, you can file charges for inconveniences. Uh, we have existing law that allows us to file charges against authorities and law enforcement officers causing unnecessary inconveniences on your life. So we can uh, file counter charges. How about this? That is why. Etong ano yung bago preliminary order of prescription left to the courts. Nakalagay mm -hmm. nito they have up to six months to conduct hearings on whether to lift mm -hmm. or to make that preliminary order of prescription permanent. In the meantime, mm -hmm. it would suggest it actually means that you would you can be detained up to six months while the court is still hearing your your case. Uh those are legal technicalities, uh, Christian. You know, I'm not very competent to discuss those legal technicalities. But from a political point of view, as a political science uh, scholar, uh, you can always challenge law enforcement authorities if you think you are innocent. Okay. You can always challenge. That's why you have a lawyer to prove your innocence. Okay, you decide. And that is why the state also has a prosecutor to prove your guilt. Yeah. There's another item which is very controversial. The removal of the 500,000 peso, basically half a million peso fine against the government equivalent to each day that a person had been detained, yet that person in the end had been acquitted. Uh, 
they they really they really need to remove that particular uh, penalty that that fine because that 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 has been blamed by a lot of uh, law enforcement agencies diba? but why remove it why not yeah. just it or clarify it because uh, it deters law enforcement authorities to apply the law to counter terrorism so they will just use ordinary criminal laws in order to run after suspected terrorists they apply the the revised penal code instead of charging them of acts of terrorism they will be charged of uh, murder or homicide or uh, illegal possession of weapons or illegal illegal possession of explosive materials those things and uh, those uh, charges are not discouraging terrorists to carry out their uh, malevolent intentions and because this particular provision is discouraging law enforcement authorities to do their job so the decision is to remove that but of course when they decide to remove that then we need to what will be our exchange in order to deter law enforcement uh, authorities from abusing their power so we have enough safeguards to uh, protect human rights from the process if you're arrested you have to have a lawyer. And if you don't have a lawyer, then the state shall provide you a, a lawyer. There's an anti-terrorism course in order to facilitate and speed up trial of the terrorism cases. Now, if you have other grievances, we have, you, can, you can apply existing laws to uh, prove your innocence. Now, if you feel that you're aggrieved and in the end, you are proven uh, innocent, then you can uh, file counter charges for causing inconveniences on your part. Okay. You know? Well, thank yeah. you very much, uh, Professor Banlawi, for joining us on this week's podcast. It, was, it has been a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you very much for those clarifications. Thank you. And more importantly, the perspective when it comes to the actual threat of terrorism at this time here in the Philippines. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Christian, and uh, have a good day. And that's it for this week's episode of Matters of Fact. I'm your host, Christian Esguera. If you like this show, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or share this episode on social media. It helps new listeners to find us. I'll see you again next week for another edition of ANC's Matters of Fact Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.